0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. The singing of carols, the lights on the trees, Christmas is almost here. Do you ever remember that feeling as a kid, if you were lucky enough? You know that feeling where the lights uh, on the tree were just glowing and you could see that the Santa sacks were full or there was a present underneath the tree and there was so much that it was all you could do just to try and go back to sleep at 3am in that morning. That excitement that you would have when uh, it was just—it was like another world, wasn't it? Christmas time, and then and then you grow up, of course, and uh, something breaks in. Stuff breaks in. Um, work breaks in, as we heard from Catherine. Uh, f- a family member. I can't be with you this year. Family member is unwell. You've got a health issue. Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace, but something is always breaking in to wreck the peace. Uh, what are we going to do with that? Uh, that's why we've been talking uh, about Christmas crisis. It's a series, actually. that's a series about series. It's about peace, but not peace as we've known it. Uh, peace to recognise that. The first question we've asked in this series has been, has religion killed the peace in the world? And we realised, no, it was always burning since the world was turning. We didn't start the fire, as Billy Joel once said. And then Jesus is supposed to bring us peace, but it's not a peace that we realise. It's a polarising peace and it's a personal uh, peace, a a personal crisis. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at what happens when something breaks in on your peace. It was a bit like this little kid I saw in the park the other day. The poor, poor little guy was paralyzed in the middle of the sandpit. He just had his hands out like this, crying out to his mum. And he was just crying. He says, my hands are dirty. I'm thinking, buddy, of course your hands are dirty. You're in, a, you're in a sandpit. As C.S. Lewis once said, expectations are everything. And I think a lot of people lack peace because they don't expect an attack on their peace particularly at Christmas. They're they're sad about being sad. They're downcast about being downcast. You're more upset about being upset than the thing you're upset about in the first place. Right? Ever felt like that. And so many people think that peace is an absence of crisis, uh, that you can only have peace in, in, in an absence of sorrow. But in light of what we've seen in the world, in light of what the Bible says, that's just not realistic. And so if having peace... In the absence of crisis is not realistic. The question for us this morning then is, how how do you have peace in spite of the crisis? How do you find the resource to have that sort of peace? How does Christianity give it to you? Up, Up for wondering how that works? How does Christianity give you the resource for peace? What we see from this passage and from what Jesus says... It's like a last will and testament. He's about to go. It's his last supper with the disciples. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives you. So what we'll discover this morning is that the peace Jesus gives is vastly different from the peace of the world, from the peace of those who don't believe in Jesus. It's totally different. It's radical. It's different. Here's the first way how it's different. We're going to look at the nature of this piece and how to get it but first the nature of it how is the peace of Jesus different it's like this the peace of Christianity is a present peace it's not an absent peace it's a present peace not an absent peace you know when you go to Woolies and you go to the checkout and there's always some form of fascinating magazine on the end Woman's Day, New Idea, Cosmopolitan uh, Men's Health Here's, here's the line you won't see on the front cover of Cosmopolitan this Christmas. You would not see a headline that goes like this. Three hot questions that are getting you to chill out this summer. <laughs> you know, um, What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? And what are we supposed to do about it? They're not, they're not, they're not the sort of things that you see on the front of cover of Cosmo, right? The front cover of Cosmo, you see these magazines, it's always about technique. It's always about technique. It's five tips on how to get chilled this summer. It's 10 tips on how to build that perfect body. It's 10 tips on how to find peace. It's 10 tips on how to live life. They always go straight to technique. Now, why is that? They don't start with the big questions, they go straight to technique. I call it the ostrich approach to the world. <laughs> it's the ostrich approach to the world. Jacques Monod, he was a molecular biologist who won the Nobel Prize, and he says, There are no answers. The the universe was not pregnant with life, nor the biosphere with man or humanity. Our number came up in the Monte Carlo game. Is it any wonder if, like the person who has just made a million at the casino, we feel strange and a little unreal? (laughs) C.S. Lewis uh, picks up on this and he says, there are no answers, right? We're, We're supposed to just take a walk, hug a child, just enjoy life as much as you can, be strong even though there are no answers." He says, Let us begin by supposing that nature is all that exists. Let us suppose that nothing has ever existed or will ever exist except this meaningless play of atoms in space and time, that by by a series of a hundredth of chances it has, regrettably, produced things like ourselves. Well, what then? You can't accept in the you can't accept in the lowest animal sense be in love with a girl if you know and keep remembering that all the beauties of both her person and her character are momentary and uh, an accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms. You may in the lowest sense have a good time, but just in so far as it becomes very good, just in so far as it ever threatens to push in on you from cold sensuality to real warmth and real enthusiasm and joy, so far as you'll be forced to feel the hopeless disharmony between your emotions and the universe in which you think you really live. Can you see what he's saying? He's saying it means if you fundamentally believe that there is no God, then there is no reason for anything. There is no right or wrong, there is no love, there is no beauty, there is no joy and there is no peace. Because why should you even be anxious in the first place? You're just a bunch of atoms. And so here's what I'm trying to show you. Can you it's an absent peace, the peace of the world. Can, can you see how the world's peace is a peace that has to refuse to think out the logical implications of its assumptions? It it has to stick its head in the sand and not look at the world around it if it thinks about what it's really saying. It's an absent peace. It's not a present peace. It's a dumb peace. It's not a smart peace. The difference between the peace of Christianity and the peace of the world is, is, is this. that The peace of the world needs you to actively close your eyes to what is happening around you in order to have peace. Whereas Christianity causes you to actively open your eyes to what's happening around you. See the difference? You know what it's like. I'm sure you've never done this. Um, It's like when you've overspent your credit card and you receive the statement in the mail and you just place it on your desk and you refuse to open it just so you can get through Christmas. Anyone ever done that? That's the sort of world's peace that we're talking about. It's the peace that has to stick your head in the sand and believe that nothing is happening out here, in order to just box yourself in for it, create yourself a little bit of space in the cubby house, in the belief that everything's going to be okay. Ah, oh, that's the problem. Now, what that means is that Christianity says you've got to think it out. So it means you can't come to church and want the peace of Jesus and think, oh yeah, I want the peace of Christianity, but I'm not going to think out if there is a God. And if Jesus, yes, he was born as a baby, grew to be a man and grew to preach us and and tell us and live out the truth to us and cause us into that, you, you, you you can't come in and think that I'm not going to think about the big pictures in life when it comes to Christianity. If you want the peace of Christianity, you've got to come and think. Which, by the way, is the opposite to how the world thinks about Christianity, right? They think, oh, you know, you're people of faith, you're gullible. They think we're the ones with our heads in the sand. And yet what we see from Lewis is a much different picture. Now, some of you are already going, that's a bit cerebral for Christmas, Sam. <laughs> um, and it's a bit daunting. So the question is... that. How, how, do we, how do we get beyond the thinking nature of all, uh, all of this? What does this mean practically? Here's, a different, here's how, how Christianity and the peace of Christianity differs in another way. The peace of Christianity is a subterranean peace. It's a beneath-the-surface peace. It's an unseen peace. Now, I realise this as I've hit my mid-30s. Many of you would understand this. Have you noticed how the way that you get peace in anyone that's sub forty? is that if things don't go your way, you say, oh, you know what, it's okay, I'll just do things differently next time. Or anyone under sub-40 says, you know what, I've got time. Anyone sub-40 says, well, if I don't like the job, I'm just going to get another one. Anyone sub-40 thinks, well, if this doesn't work out, then there are lots of other different paths I could... That's how you construct your peace when you're sub-40. Now, for all of those over-40, uh, over how's that work for you? How how does that work when life presses in on you and you're not afforded the same choice? And already it's starting to press in on me where I start to realise for the first time that as you get older, you begin to learn that you can't control your circumstances. You can't choose like that. And in fact, you learn how dependent your heart is now, how dependent you are on your heart for peace. There's a great um, exchange in the book Pride and Prejudice. I may or may not have flicked through it at times when my sisters were reading it, but <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great scene in the, the final chapters between uh, Lizzie Bennett and her sister Jane, I think it is. I think, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 and Jane's, Jane's engaged to be married in that classic old way. She's, oh, what a blessed member of the family I am. Oh, that, that I should have such a man as this. Oh, Elizabeth, if you could only have a man such as me, you would be so happy. And Lizzie, in a sort of feisty way, you know what she's like. She says, oh, I could have 40 such men. But Jane, until I have your disposition of heart, then I shall never be happy. And she got it. And what I like about her response, actually, is it's not the traditional response. It's not The the traditional response is, oh, yes, of course, I need a man to be happy. And she doesn't do the super modern response, which is, forget men. I don't need men to be happy. I am my own person. I don't need to get married to be happy. She's neither of that. She says, no, if I need your disposition of heart. And here's what she's saying. She's saying peace is not a matter of circumstances. It's a matter of your heart. People lack peace most often when? When their circumstances change. And here's what Christianity says Christianity says your circumstances might be the occasion for your lack of peace, but that it is not the cause. Hear that? Your circumstances might be the occasion for your lack of peace, but it's not the cause. Surely you've seen this, two people that go through tragedy. Two people lose businesses. One rises out of the ashes, the other one is crushed. Two people have a breakdown of relationship. One continues to move forward and then fall in love again and rebuild life. The other moves into a spiral that they never come out of. Have you seen that? Two people, the same circumstances, two totally opposite responses. It can't be the causal link between our circumstances And the way we act, it's a disposition of the heart. What happens to the person who rises above? They have a subterranean peace. Which, by the way, you know, as Jesus says here in this passage, the opposite of peace is not sorrow. He says, the opposite of peace, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The opposite of peace is fear, anxiety. (laughs) 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, in this you... Although you may suffer trials of many kinds, brothers and sisters, in in this you greatly rejoice because you know that your faith, which is worth more than gold, has been refined by the fire and will prove itself genuine on that day when I come. What it says, present tense, in your trials now you are suffering. A present tense, you also rejoice. Peace is not linked to sorrow because it is beneath the surface for a Christian. So some of you are saying, well, how do I get that? Okay, so you know, I've, I know I've got to think about it. My eyes are open to the problem. I've got to, be re- I've got to open up the credit card statement. <laughs> I've got to deal with this. I've got to think about the bigger picture of life. Then I realize that suddenly when I deal with the bigger picture of life, that my circumstances are not the cause for my lack of peace. It's my heart and the things that I've tethered my heart to. How do I fix this? And that's where Philippians 4, that great passage that many of us know so well, Really speaks to us in terms of a solution to it all. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm just reading and warming up here because I want to get to verse 8. Verse 8: Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and the god of peace will be with you you see the question that we come to now in all of this is how how do i find the resources to remain steadfast in spite of my circumstances how am i the sort of person that Rises above, how am I the sort of person that still has a joy when these things have broken in on me? The answer is you think. Two disciplines we see. The first one is the discipline of thinking. You think. You think about it. You remember why you you were doing life. You remember the big picture. You remember that in Jesus, God has come in the, this little baby and lived and died and suffered all sorts of horrendous things and still triumphed over life. You think about these things. You think on the promises of God. You think on what it is that he has told you and he said to you through your word. You see, doubt and anxiety has always come from a lack of thinking. Remember, doubt doubts, as I've said once before, doubting is a condition where... Your experiences in life cause your heart to feel what your mind knows to be untrue. And so, the way that you get away from doubt and anxieties is you think, you know, what it's like a doctor comes to you and says, You've got a major heart problem, you're right on the edge. You cannot touch another steak or it's going to kill you. So much, as much some of you are here right now in that position, <laughs> eat another bit of meat, it's all over, you believe him, you've seen the evidence, you've got a friend that's in the same situation, you've got a pe- pe- friend that has died from eating steak in this scenario, <laughs> now when you, when you sit down to a Christmas dinner or you sit down to that big juicy bit of steak, that, that is the last thing that you're going to be thinking about. The, the saliva glands are going to be going. Everything within you is going to feel like you want to going to take a chunk of that bit of steak. <laughs> You're not going to feel like that. You see, when people come to me and say, "Sam, you know what? Look, I don't know about Christianity, but I'm am doing what's true for me. You know, I, I like I, I'm not I'm not against you as a person of faith, but I'm just whatever's true for you, whatever's true for me, that's going to work. Uh, now. I guess the question for that is, what, ha- what happens when the circumstances of life break in? How, how is your truth going to work for you? How, how are you going to feel when life breaks in and things don't go the way that you want, when your, your circumstances come in and they don't change, but your feelings do? It won't, whatever you're doing won't feel true to you. In fact, Christianity won't feel true to you when your circumstances come in. And so you have to have the discipline of thinking, thinking, thinking. Thinking, thinking upon it, whatever is noble, right, true, says Paul. But what he's saying is, think about the bigger picture. Augustine said, only the love of the immutable, the unchangeable, brings tranquility. And here's what the discipline of thinking does. It, it, it traces your fears and your anxiety back to its source. Every preacher gets butterflies at this time, about 9.15 on a Sunday morning. You start thinking, well, am I going to preach a cracker of a sermon? Will they like it? <laughs> and you start getting incredibly nervous and you have to engage the discipline of thinking. Well, why are you worried whether or not they like it? Well, I don't know. Maybe they'll think that I'm a good minister. Jesus says to me, well, why, why, why would that matter? Why do you need their approval to be a good minister? But, well, I, I don't know. Maybe that's so they keep me in the job. Oh, so it's about your security in the job now, is it, Sam? Says Jesus. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it's not about that, Lord. I I want to follow you in that, but I I just want to make sure it's really, really good. Why do you want to make sure it's really, really good? Oh, just so things happen and happen for the kingdom and the church explodes and it's all for the kingdom. Is it really, Sam? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you want their approval, not my approval. I've already given you my approval. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So you've got to trace it back to the roots. You can work out your own application. I've done my time with Jesus this morning. <laughs> the discipline of thinking. But then the last one this morning as we finish up is the discipline of thanking. The discipline not only of thinking but of thanking. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to be God. To, to God. You see the opposite of peace is, is not sorrow, it's anxiety and fear. And so when it says here, to be thankful in, in all that you bring before God, see the question that you've got this morning of, of him is, how do, I, how do I deal with this thing that has broken in on me? This thing that is hurting me, this thing that is causing me anxiety this Christmas. How, how do I deal with that, Lord? And he says, thank me for it. And here's the radical difference in Christianity is that, look? I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor before I'm a preacher. And I know I know many of you this morning. I've got fam- news of family members that have got cancers that are undealt with, that are waiting on. Health results that have come through, and it's not quite there. I know many of you are in estranged relationships with family members. I know many of you are coming to a time of Christmas where you're going to have to try and play happy, but it's not going to be happy. There are people there that you don't want to be there, there are people there that you want there that are not there. And you say, what am I suppo- How the heck am I supposed to get a piece in that, Sam? How the heck am I supposed to find a piece in all of this mess? I say to you, Look, Jesus grew up from a baby into a man, and you look at the cross. You look at how the disciples were looking at their best friend and their saviour and the one that was going to get them out of that God-forsaken place and he's, 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 he's hanging there dying and it's just an absolute bung fight. They're anxious and they're fearful and they're worried about what's going to happen and the God of the universe says, I can, I can work in that sort of messed up, screwed up, no hope junk And I can somehow work resurrection and new life and joy and wonder and power and glory through all of that. If I can work through that, could it be possible, child, that I can work through your situation? Does it mean that he's going to give you what you're asking for this morning? No, because we've we've got to come back to paedia. Remember in Hebrews 12 that we talked about, we have to trust in his fatherly love. As a kid I wanted a gun for Christmas. <laughs> I don't think that was the best present for a 7-year-old. <laughs> and God's paedia, his fatherly love when you offer up your prayers and petitions as you will this Christmas. He says, "Child, I will always give you what you would have asked me for if you knew what I knew at the time." Child, I will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew what I knew. At the time, well, as I know some of you, there are things happening this year that's not according to your agenda this Christmas. And it causes you fear and anxiety. There are things that have happened that you wish you could shift and change. There are circumstances that you think are insurmountable, that are a messed up, screwed up mess. And when you bring it in thanksgiving, the Christian says, Lord, I trust you in this, that in your fatherly love, if you are withholding from me, you are only ever withholding things that will ultimately hurt me and harm me in the long run. And in the positive sense, Father, as you somewhat delay in accordance to my agenda, I know that it's in your perfect timing. And that in in that delay, you were working a supernatural dynamic in me in which you were building a significance and a glory and a steadfastness to my life. Can you see how that works? Can you see how that is not possible if you've got the ostrich approach? That is not possible if you treat life like a credit card statement and you refuse to look at it. God has entered the world in Jesus Christ and he doesn't conquer the world through some big life. Out of the mess and the junk and the pain that you might be feeling this Christmas and this year, he's got the gumption to swallow his own medicine. And if you follow his way, then maybe too, like him, there will be a glory in your life. We're about to enter an exciting season, aren't we? Christmas Eve, it's five more sleeps away. (laughs) I hope it is for us, I really do. I hope it is. If is. I'm old enough now that I, I, can't, I can't go back to those times on Christmas Eve. I can catch glimpses, can't you, of those moments where we are wonderfully excited in the way that we see in our children and our grandchildren. We can't quite go back there, but we can use them as pointers to the great hope that God has given us in Jesus Christ. There, There is... For the Christian, our hope is not in the Christmas tree, but it's in a reunion with Christ. And we're holding out because this lifetime is still just Christmas Eve. (laughs) The, 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 The real presence, the true time hasn't arrived just yet. And so there is great hope and there is great promise and there's great resource for you, right, this Christmas? That yes, junk is breaking in on you. But there is a resource at hand here, a peace, a subterranean peace, a peace that has opened your eyes to the things of the world, a peace that is unafraid to look life in the face, and and yet still with with a thanksgiving and with a thinking, able to see the ways in which our mysterious God is working something within us that makes us steadfast and true in spite of our circumstances. Have you got that? Some of us, I think we've just got to rediscover it. It's there. It's there. We're going to pull it it back out of the cupboard with the table runners and the decorations. We're going to unpack that a bit this Christmas. Some of you don't have it because you haven't received Christ. And all I can say to this morning is, look, um, it's time to open up the credit card statement. It's time to get a little bit real with yourself and with life and to face that. It's, It's time, if you're not a Christian, to trace out the implications of your underlying assumptions. When you do that and you receive Christ, then you can have a resource, the only resource, I believe, for peace. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, I pray that as we head into this week before we celebrate the birth of your son Jesus at this time of Christmas, that as we get ready excitedly in cooking food and baking treats and, and getting ready for family, Father Uh, All of us as a community, our hearts go to those that are hurting during this time and this season. That we might be a church that recognises that Christmas can often be a tough time for many people. And so we ask that uh, you would be with those this Christmas, Lord God, who need a a touch of your peace. Father, help each and every one of us rediscover the resource for that. That in your Son, Jesus Christ, that there is a hope, there is a beyondness, there is an otherness to this life. There is an eve to this life that continues to build a a deep-seated soul excitement in us, Father. uh, For the things that are really yet to come, the true things that are yet to come. And so uh, strengthen us, make us a steadfast people this week, we pray in your mighty name. Amen.